you can change. Everybody can change. Today we're going to talk about the ways that I can change and you can change and everybody can change. Sound good? That movie, does anyone know what movie that is? Who can? Okay, yeah, which Rocky is it? Just shout it out. Rocky IV, there you go. And if you haven't seen that movie, well, you can just fight me. Just kidding. So we're going to talk about the things that divide human beings. In the U.S., this has and still does manifest itself in racial divisions a lot of times, right? Among many other ways. But as you know, this is not only an American problem. Throughout the history of humankind, there's been something inside of us that just tempts us to reject people that we see as different than us, right? Of a different race, of a different ethnicity and nationality, those who root for a different football team. Ooh, now we're hitting close to home. Go blue. And as a staff, man, we dropped the ball because as we were planning this series on taboo topics, we talked about talking about money and sex and dating. And then we planned to like put this topic of race and diversity in the middle of that. And we did not not even enter my mind like, wait, that's a taboo topic too. (laughs) Why didn't we include that in a taboo topic? So we changed our minds, and we are including this now in Taboo Topics, even though it was planned to begin with. We're including it in the Taboo Topics series. So we're on Taboo Topic number two of three. Got it? So we're just going to call an audible there. That's our second football reference of the day already. I wonder how many of those are going to come up. <clears throat> Maybe. More Nacho Libre or football references. We already have one of Nacho Libre. So our world many times treats our differences that we have with one another as taboo topics, right? Like we, we don't talk about our differences sometimes. And we kind of, we're afraid to talk about our differences because we think differences divide us. And unfortunately, many times that's true, right? The differences we have divide us sometimes. We can't get past them at times. But this, as many of you know, or all of you probably even know, that this is not the will or the heart of Jesus, right? Christ not only desires but commands that we treat those that we believe are different than us with not only tolerance but love. And the reason why I say that we believe is because a lot of times the differences that we perceive between us and another person are kind of surface level. When you start to get to know a person, you find out, oh, this person actually is more like me than I expected. <clears throat> okay, third football reference. This wasn't in my notes, but it's just, it's just happening. So when I get to know an Ohio State fan, so many times, they're way nicer than I expect them to be. And I'm like, no, you shouldn't be this nice. Like, you're an Ohio State fan. When you actually get to know somebody that's beneath the surface of what you just perceive them to be initially, then you start to see, like, oh, wait, this person is actually a lot like me in a lot of ways. But Jesus commands us to treat those different than us with not only tolerance, but also love and even love towards those who consider themselves our enemies, right? Which is radical. That's something that I don't see in other religions of the world, that that person who hates you, you need to love them. That's something that Christ tells us to do that is not a common thing in this world, right? Now, ignoring racial and cultural differences 
was actually the way that many folks in the United States taught that race should be handled in the past. Have you guys, you guys heard that we need to be colorblind, right? Which I believe that we do need to treat everybody with equal love and dignity, no matter their color. But I also believe that ignoring the differences and just pretending that people who have different experiences and backgrounds, that everything's the same about us, can actually, and not being honest about those differences, I think can actually inhibit unity. I think it takes intentionality and hard work to overcome the sins of racism and prejudice. So today, at H2O Campus Church, at the beginning of Black History Month, month of February, can I get a woot woot? We're going to talk about it. We are going to talk about it today. If I could change, and you can change, everybody can change. Man, I'm pumped now. I'm ready to, to kill some demons now. All right. I've had a, I had a vision, and I didn't know why the Holy Spirit, maybe this was from the Holy Spirit, maybe not. Maybe it's just me. Several months ago, I was like, I need a Rocky shirt. And on the back, I want that quote, if I could change it, you could change, everybody could change. And then this morning at like 5.30 in the morning, Julie is awake in bed, and she thinks, Chris should show that Rocky clip and then wear the shirt. And so that's what we did. So this was, it was Julie's idea. So if you think it's a dumb idea, then don't blame me. No, I think it's a great idea, Julie. I thought, mm, let me pray about that. Yes, let's do it. So as we talk about these sensitive topics, if I'm being completely vulnerable, which I never do, I would admit that this is a scary topic for me to speak on. As a white dude, I am 1 16th Native American, but that hardly qualifies me as a minority. <laughs> 1 16th isn't a lot. It is something my great-grandma Jay was full-blooded Native American. It's a true story, though. But I am a white dude. And as a white dude, I hesitate to even speak on these subjects because I realize that I don't have nearly as many experiences and knowledge that so many others do. And I worry that I'm going to say something wrong and offend somebody or that I'll be misinterpreted. But even though these are real possibilities, I might say something wrong today. I hope not. I don't plan to. My heart is not to. I believe white folks, even though we're taking a risk, we still need to speak on the biblical mandate to be people of racial justice and equality. We need to take that risk. And if I do say something that sounds confusing or misinformed to you, please know that I'm really desiring to express the love and humility of Jesus. And I've had and the reason why I'm taking this step today to talk about this is because I've had some minority friends in my life tell me that they get tired of being the ones who have to bring up the topic all the time, right? It's nice to know that, that, to be validated, that other people are thinking about this too. And so that's why we want to talk about it today. And I really do want the heart of Christ to come forth in this. And that heart is one of a Savior who humbled himself, who took on the form of a servant and died so that every tribe, tongue, and people, every ethnicity on this planet could become not only equal, but one family. Right? One family. Not equal, but separate. 
Now we're one equal and we're one family, right? So let's, let's pray together. We need the Holy Spirit's help, right? Lord Jesus, you are powerful, you're mighty, you're awesome, and you deserve the worship of every person on this planet. Every tribe, tongue, people, and language, God, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, you deserve the worship of all of us, and you deserve to be obeyed and honored. And Father, we want to do the hard things, say the hard things, take the hard steps to honor you in the way you deserve and to love others in the way that they deserve because of the God-given image of God that you've placed inside each person. Be with us now. Reveal truth. I pray that you would not only reveal it to our minds, but help it to change our actions. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to steal your music stand, whoever this is. Janae, will you forgive me? Because my music stand keeps falling down, and I'm super tall, so if it falls down, that's bad for me. Oh, thank you. Caleb's a server. Let's give Caleb a hand. Thanks, man. All right, so this first biblical example that I want to look at, um, I want to look at two. Did I say that yet? So we're going to look at two biblical examples of the divisions that people have between each other and see how Jesus handled it see how the apostles in the early church handled it. Sound good? Can we do that? The first one is in John chapter 4. So you can turn to John chapter 4 while we watch this short clip that sets up, gives a little historical and cultural background to what's happening in John chapter 4. And this is from uh, one of my favorite shows right now called The Chosen. You guys, have, are anyone watching The Chosen? I think it's really good. It's not like world-class, you know, production stuff, but it's good. Like, they, they do a good job, I think. So, um, here it is. Hungry? Almost there. What city is that? Jezreel, the southernmost town in Galilee. From that revere east to the Jordan River. Rabbi, where are you going? Do you need something? This way, friends. I'm sorry, but the map shows that Jezreel is two miles southeast of here and is met by a road east to the Jordan. We need to adjust our course 30 degrees We're to... not going to the Jordan. We're going through Samaria. Are you telling a joke? There's a place that I want to stop. Plus, it makes our journey shorter by almost half. And our odds of violent attack more likely by double. <laughs> Is that an exact figure? Forgive me, teacher, but it's safer to go around Samaria by way of the Jordan and not the Capolis. Would you join me for safety reasons? But, Rabbi, you're Samaritans. Good observation, Big James. What's your point? Rabbi, these were the people that profaned our temple with the dead bones. They, they hated they us. Fought they fought against us with the Seleucids in the Maccabean Wars. I haven't even spoken to a Samaritan. And we destroyed their temple a hundred years ago. And none of you here were present for any of these things. Listen, if we're going to have a question and answer session, Every time we do something you're not used to, it's going to be a very annoying time together for all of us. We'll be fine. And if we get attacked, Simon would be happy to show us what to do. Absolutely. Right. So follow me. Ooh, follow me. 
they follow him to the Samaritans. We do need to follow Jesus to those that he has a heart for, that he has love for, which happens to be every person on this planet, regardless of how much you like them or don't like them, right? So in biblical times, prejudice wasn't primarily directed towards different races per se. But it, rather, it was displayed towards different ethnicities. So two people who might look, like, you know, from my perspective, to look the same would have two different ethnicities, like Samaritans and Jews. But there's, there's hatred, animosity between those two. And this is one of the stories of those ethnic divisions that brought about prejudice. Jesus' disciples were shocked that Jesus would have a conversation. Oh, wait, we got to read the story. Dang forgot that. Hey, let's read the passage. I got caught up in the moment. Hallelujah. I got caught up in the chosen. That tends to happen. Let's read John 4. We're going to start in verse 4. I started mentioning a woman that you guys don't know about yet. Well, here she is. So in John 4, starting in verse 4, we're going to read quite a bit, so buckle your safety belts. It's talking about Jesus, and it says, And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So, Je- so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. So at the sixth hour of the day was the time of day that no one wanted to go to the well. Sixth hour of the day in in Jewish, you know, interpretation was noon. So the middle of the day, the sun's at the peak, and it's hot, and people don't want to come to the well to draw water. But this woman came because no one was there, which is exactly why she came. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Do you guys know this is where we get the name H2O Campus Church? The living water, John 4. Mind bomb. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, 
And by the way, when Jesus says woman to ladies in scripture, it does not mean that he's like, woman? He's a, it's actually a way that, like, it'd be like modern day saying man. Okay, so it's actually a term of respect, not like, woman, you listen to me. Okay, no more jokes about that. No more laughing about that. Where am I? What verse are we in? Okay, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Right? Not by, not according to race or nationality or ethnicity, but in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Bless you. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. I'm going to skip down now to verse 39. And it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So like I said before I read the passage, Jesus' disciples were shocked that Jesus would have a conversation with this woman for three reasons. She had three strikes against her. First strike, strike one was that she was a woman and they were alone. And for Jesus, a man to have a conversation with a woman in public like this would have been seen as inappropriate. And also culturally, women were just not respected and honored as much as they should have been in that culture. And Jesus, being Jesus and having a heart for those who are, who are shoved down, sought out this woman, broke cultural norms to lift her up. So every time I read this story, I think of a time when Julie and I were brand new in ministry. We were newly married. We had just gotten married, and I got a job at a little Baptist church plant while I was still in college, while we were both still in college. And one of the jobs we were given was to teach the kids, kids' church on Sunday mornings. And so one Sunday morning, there's a little kid in kids' church named Joshua, um, and he was one of the pastor's sons. He was three years old. He was super cute, tons of energy, sometimes getting into some mischief, but he was a great kid. He was, he was hilarious. And so we're telling this story about the Samaritan woman at the well to the kids. I told some people this last week, and I didn't know I was going to talk about it in church today, so sorry for ruining it for you guys. But we're telling the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, and we were trying to describe to the kids like what it must have felt like, like how strange it might have been for Jesus to have a conversation with this woman. We were, we were talking about how she must have felt having this conversation. And so I was describing it to them, and I said, and I, I think Joshua was not paying attention at all the whole time. And then he just started to tune in, like, at the last second. And this is the only thing he heard me say. I told him, like, she must have been thinking, here I am, a woman. And he looked at me with the, with the weirdest expression out of his face. He goes, you're a woman? 
That's weird. <laughs> anyway, that has nothing to do with what I'm trying to teach today, but I thought it was funny, so I thought it, I, had, I had to share it with you. So strike two, not only was she a woman, but she was a Samaritan woman. And as we saw in the video and in the, in the, uh, in the passage in verse 9, that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. There was a lot of cultural and historical baggage between these two people groups, and they did not get along. They despised one another. And it went both ways, too. Jewish people despised the Samaritan people. The Samaritan people despised the Jewish people. So that was the second strike. The third strike was she was an adulteress. She was divorced five times. She was sinful not because of her heritage, but because of her choices. Now, normally, three strikes and you're out, right? But with Jesus, three strikes and you're hired as a missionary? That was bad. Sorry. Please forgive me. So what can we learn? What can we learn from this passage? The way Jesus treated this lady, and how can we apply those things to our lives and our current issues of racism and injustice that we're experiencing? We can learn tons, but for the sake of time, there are just a few thoughts that I, have one, that I want to share with you. The first thing is Jesus seeks out people who are different than him, especially the, the oppressed, the mistreated, and the forgotten. Jesus seeks them out. So normally, in Jesus' day, devout Jews would actually go the long way. Have you guys heard this story? They would go the long way around Samaria to get, to get from Judea to Galilee. So they were traveling from Judea, which is south of Samaria. And then you have this Samaria, which is kind of like in the middle of the nation of, of Israel at the time. And then Galilee was above, was north of Samaria. And in order to avoid, like you saw in the video, in order to avoid going through Samaria and being defiled by these people, defiled, I put that in quotes just so you make sure you know, they would actually go around Samaria, take the long way, and then go to Galilee. Isn't that interesting? But Jesus rejected the prejudice with which the Jews treated the Samaritans. And he did not have to go through Samaria because it was along his route. He had to go through Samaria because he had a mission there. He had a person he wanted to meet there. It's interesting that every time in the Gospel of John, there's this Greek word that it used that, that, that they translate in this passage, had to. It's the Greek word day, if any of you care. D-E-I is how it's transliterated. But it never refers to like there's no other option kind of have to. It refers to divine necessity. So it wasn't that it was Jesus' only option that he had to go through Samaria. He had to go because it was necessary for him because he had a divine appointment there. And rather than going out of his way to avoid certain people, Jesus did the opposite. He went out of his way to reach the oppressed. He welcomes those whom others seem, who others deem as outsiders into his family. And if Jesus goes out of his way to welcome outsiders, then we have to go out of our way to welcome outsiders as well. Not just like be nice to outsiders if we happen to bump into them, but no, we go out of our way to pursue them and to seek the outsider. As followers of Jesus, we need to be aware of welcoming those we see as different than us. You know, it's a natural human tendency to gravitate towards those that you perceive to be like you, right? And that's not always a bad thing. Like, if you're a gamer, then you like to hang out with gamers, right? That's okay. If you like sports, then you like to hang out with people who play sports. You like to hang out with people who get your sense of humor, who understand you, who think like you, who act like you. That's, that's not all bad. That's okay. 
However, if we don't surrender that to Jesus, it will turn us into people who reject those that we see as different than us that Christ actually wants us to embrace. Everything has to be laid on the cross, right? Everything has to be put on the cross, even the ways I like to have fun. At fall retreat, you guys remember Kenji spoke, and the last day he talked about the six antidotes to me first, and one of those was sacrificial fun. And so he said, don't just have fun in the way you want to have fun. Have fun in the way that somebody else wants to have fun for the purpose of reaching them. We lay everything on, on the altar for the purpose of Christ's kingdom. And it's a supernatural quality to seek those whom you perceive to be different than you and draw them into the family. <clears throat> Have you ever had the experience of being the only person uh, who's a part of your race, your racial background, in a social situation? I'm sure some of you have, and I would imagine that some of you have not. Us white folks in the room, it's, it's not as likely that we've had those kind of experiences, at least in this country. I've had those experiences when I've gone to other countries, but not as much in this country. But there have been a couple times, maybe two, three, maybe a handful of times in the United States where I was in a situation where I was the only white guy there. One time, Julie and I went to a, well, so when we first moved to this area, we were visiting churches to just find a, a church home. And we went to several churches, several churches, and one of the churches we went to was, we were the only white people in the church. Everybody else, it was, it was all black church other than us, the visitors. And it was an amazing church. I mean, we had an incredible time. The Spirit of God was powerful. The preaching was anointed. We had a wonderful time. And the people in that church went out of their way to welcome us. It, there was no secret that we were the new people, <laughs> right? And they were just incredibly friendly. They, I, th I think we shook hands with, I don't know, 30, 40 people that Sunday because they were, they were just, they wanted to make sure that we knew that they valued that we were there, right? On another occasion, we were in a social setting in which we were the only white family. And this time the experience was a bit different. It wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad experience, but it was, it was different. And I think this story could help us understand the length we need to go to to make sure that people feel valued and welcomed. Because people were not mean to us. They were nice to us, but they also did not initiate conversation with us. And so we felt like the outsiders. I don't know if they viewed us as outsiders or not, but we felt like outsiders because of the way we look. And we kind of sat by ourselves. And any conversation, not, not any, I shouldn't say that. That's, that's not fair. But a lot of the conversations we had with people who were at that, that social setting, we had to initiate those conversations, right? And though I don't believe that anybody was being intentionally unwelcoming to us, it kind of made us feel like others would have preferred that we were not there. You guys ever felt that way before? I'm sure some of you have. I'm sure you have. They didn't say that we were not welcome. But because they didn't go out of their way to welcome us, that's how we felt. Does that make sense? And I think sometimes we believe that not being mean to other people is enough, that that's what Jesus asks of us. But Jesus asks us for more than that for way more than that. If we think that not being mean is the heart of Christ, I mean, we're like 1% there, maybe. 
but he calls us to go so much further, to cross barriers to welcome people. Amen? We doing okay? Maybe not. Some people are nodding. Okay, I'll just keep going. I wonder, do we go out of our way to welcome outsiders, especially those who feel different than all of us insiders in H2O? So in H2O, when somebody comes into H2O, do we go out of our way to make them feel like an insider even though they are an outsider? Do we do that? I want us to be the kind of people who are always aware of the people on the fringes of any situation and who do the hard work of crossing the barrier to initiate relationship with that person. We are the ones who do the hard work. That's what missionaries do. We don't expect others to do the work to cross the barriers to get to us, right? As a missionary, we cross the barriers to go to them. That's the heart of Christ. Another thing I want to learn from what, how Jesus treated this, this precious lady in John 4 is that Jesus loves to use people of different ethnicities. He loves to use people of different ethnicities. Jesus not only reached, reached out to her, but he mobilized her. There's a big difference there. So before any of the disciples had been sent out on a mission to advance the kingdom, this lady, after meeting Jesus, in her joy, ran and proclaimed the kingdom to her people in her town. And Jesus didn't stop her. He didn't prohibit her from doing that. He didn't say, wait, 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 you, don't, you just met me. You're brand new. You don't know enough to tell other people about me. No, he didn't do that. He didn't say, well, you can be saved you can be a part of the group, but you don't really have the expertise to have leadership. Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say, well, I'll have my professional disciples handle the ministry part, but you can just kind of be a part of the group. Jesus mobilized her and gave her influence and authority. We'll talk more about that later. She became his first missionary. A Samaritan woman who had had five husbands became Jesus' first missionary in the Gospels. Isn't that cool? I want to look at another story with you. And it's in Acts chapter 6. And I mentioned this story a couple years ago and I just, when I preached a sermon about some similar ideas. And I just think it's too important to not say again two years later. Um, it's in Acts chapter 6. And this was an issue of prejudice that arose very early in the life of the church of Christ. So within first century Judaism, I'll just give you a little background. Within first century Judaism, there were Jews who knew and used the Hebrew language and those who did not. And some of these Jewish people were, they were called Hellenists or Hellenistic. And they were kind of Jews who had adopted Greek culture and language. And the Hebrew Jews, Hebrew-speaking Jews, would look at the Hellenistic Jews and they would say, they're not as Jewish or as true to the traditions of our ancestors and, and the word of God as we are, and so they are inferior to us. That's how the Hebrew Jews would treat the Hellenistic Jews. And so this is the context of the story that we see in Acts 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. It says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. By the way, they were not trying to demean this job that they were giving to other people by saying serve tables. They were not trying to minimize it. They were just saying, we don't have time for it all. 
God called us to do something specific, and this was not it. And so we're going to find a solution to that. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon, but not Pumba, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Those of you who are following along would know that it did not say, but not Pumbaa. That was a joke, so anyway. Thanks, Elliot, for laughing. So what can we learn from the way the apostles responded to this issue? You guys have, feel like you have a grasp on the issue. So there were two groups of widows. <clears throat> the Hellenistic widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of stuff, food and whatever else they did. The, the Hebrew Jews who uh, had the decision-making power in that situation were neglecting them. <clears throat> and so... The way they handle this, I just think, is just full of wisdom and the love of Christ. One thing they did is they valued diversity. Now, the apostles could have looked at this situation and said, man, this is hard. Like, we're having some misunderstanding here. There's some cultural gaps, some barriers here, and it's going to be hard to cross. Like, how are we going to fix this? Actually, maybe we should just be separate but equal. Maybe we should just have two different congregations. Maybe we should have the Hellenistic Jews go over here to this congregation, have the Hebrew Jews stay here in our comfort, and it's just going to be easier, then we won't have to deal with the stuff that this, that's happening right now. Now, that sounds terrible, right? That's bad. That would hurt. But surprisingly enough, like, that's what we do sometimes in the church. As we, we say, you know, I'm going to be nice to this group of people, but... Um, but the differences we have are just too big to confront. And maybe it's going to be better, better use of our time if we just ignore the differences and just do our own things. That's not what the apostles said. Maybe you think that's the right way to handle it. That would have been the right way to handle it, but that's not how the apostles handled it. And therefore, as we know, the book of Acts is not just a storybook. It's a teaching book, right? So it's showing us something. It's teaching us how we need to handle it. They value diversity. And they said, these, these aren't just, it's not them. This is our people. Our people have a problem. And we need to fix this as a group. And some of you might be wondering, so why did they value diversity? Why is diversity even valuable? Why is it something to seek after? Let me give you a few reasons. I'll try to convince you. Heaven will be diverse. That's something we talk about a lot. We talk about missions a lot. We talk about welcoming international students a lot. Heaven will be a diverse place. In Revelation 7, it shows us that every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will be in heaven around the throne of God for all eternity. And I believe we have a unique opportunity here at the University of Michigan when we have around 130 nations of the world represented to reflect what heaven could look like in our fellowship. Like We have the real possibility to do that. Not every church and every place in the world has the opportunity 
to, to reflect heaven like we do here at U of M. If we can embrace it, right? Diversity is valuable because heaven is diverse. And this shows us that God, that God values diversity because heaven's diverse, but also we can see God's value of diversity in, in all creation. From people to animals to landscapes to everything else, God loves to create different stuff, right? And every time we see an expression of God's creation that's different than me or different than what I've already seen, it expands my understanding of who God is as the creator, right? It's like, oh, God loves that too, God loves mountains, too. He loves stars, also. He loves this person, too. He loves this nationality, too. It expands our understanding of the heart of God, that he is a diverse being, that he loves the beauty of creating a lot of different stuff. And if God values diversity, then we should not only welcome it, but we should pursue diversity. And here's another reason why I think diversity is so important for us to embrace it. When we have unity in diversity, it displays to the world the power of the Spirit of God to unify those who seem to be different. So when everyone feels like we're the same, it's not that hard to seem unified, right? If you just separate yourselves from everybody that's different than you and only go with people that you, that you think you're like, First of all, you'll be separating yourself a lot because in a relationship, there's always going to be tension. There's always going to be conflict. And if you start ignoring it and just separating yourself from it, then you're going to be distancing yourself from everybody. But if, if you think everyone's the same, then it's not hard to look unified. But when, but when people look at us from the outside perspective and they say, man, those people seem to have nothing in common except Christ. And we acknowledge our differences, and we disagree with each other, and we still love each other and remain unified. That testifies to the world of the unifying power of the love of Christ. When we live like that, it shows the world how powerful the love of Christ is to unify people who are different and even disagree and even have hurt each other and offended each other. And we still love each other and we fight for unity. That's powerful. Another thing the apostles did is that they listened when the Hellenists said there was a problem, the apostles did not just dismiss it and tell them to stop whining. They took these complaints seriously. They trusted the complaints of the people in their family. Did you catch that? And they not only listened to them and believed them, but they took decisive action. They called all the disciples together to figure out what to do. Did you see that? They, said, they called all the people together to figure out what to do. This is a problem that needs to be addressed by all of us. We need to figure this out together. I have a very close friend who many of you know. His name is Jonathan Jones. Let's hear it for John Jones. Come on, if he ever listens to this recording, we better let him know what we think about him. Let's go, John Jones. Okay. <laughs> I love John. <clears throat> he is literally one of my favorite people on the planet. John's African-American, for those who know him. Well, actually, that's for those who don't know him, because those, those who know him already know that. But I love this man like he was my own brother. And I trust John more than I trust almost anybody on this planet. I trust his relationship with Jesus immensely. Like, I wouldn't trust my life to this man. 
And I know that if he had to lay his life down for me, he would do it. That that's the kind of man John is. I have observed him living his life for many years as a man of love, sincerity, honesty, sacrifice, and all the rest. So years ago when John and I started to have honest conversations about his experience, his experiences, plural, of people treating him with prejudice, with racism, because of no fault of his own, people just judging him based on the color of his skin, Am I all of a sudden, after trusting him and knowing him and living life with him and loving him, am I all, all of a sudden going to start mistrusting what he tells me about his story in this regard? Like, that would not be fair, would it? I trust him in all these areas, but then he starts talking to me about racial justice, and all of a sudden I'm going to be like, oh, John, are you sure? Are you sure that's what they meant to do? Are you sure that's how it happened? Are you sure you weren't just misinterpreting it? Now, that would, what kind of a brother would I be if I treated this man that I love and loves me like that? And if that's the one thing that I don't believe him about, what does that say about my heart? Is that maybe it's because what he's saying now doesn't fit the mental framework of how I understand the world. And maybe that bothers me. And maybe it takes time for me to, to grasp that, to wrap my mind around that. We can't do that to people, right? When someone comes to me and they say, listen, I'm hurting. My widows are not being taken care of, whatever it is. Like, my response needs to be empathetic. I need to have understanding. I need to believe them, right? And I need to take action. And when our Christian brothers and sisters of a different ethnicity tell us there's a problem, we have to take that seriously. We have to work to resolve that problem. Here's another thing that the apostles did that I think is powerful for us. And this is similar to what Jesus did with the Samaritan woman. They shared authority and decision-making power with the group that had been mistreated. That's a really powerful display of humility and the love of Christ. The apostles told the Greek-speaking brothers to choose men from among whom? From among themselves. So this Greek-speaking group, okay, Sweet. Can you wait on that for a minute, Debbie? Thank you. That'd be awesome. Uh, that's, the, that's, the big, that's the big finish. <laughs> what was I saying? I totally lost my train of thought. Yes, from within. So you have these Greek-speaking Jewish people. And they said, okay, guys, we realize this is a problem, and will you please help us fix it? In order to bring balance, we're going to ask you to choose seven people from among the Hellenistic Jews to fix this problem. And they were also people who were qualified. They were men full of the spirit and of wisdom. They didn't just choose them because of their, because of their background. They also chose them because they were qualified. And I'm sure there were plenty of them who were qualified. Do you think that some of the Hebrews may have felt offended at the fact that the Hellenists were given this extra care? Right? You can imagine probably some Hebrew Jewish people in that situation, who are like, wait, why are you going to give them all of the power, all the authority? What about our widows, right? Are, are they more important? Is their voice more important than my voice? Do you think maybe there was some of that happening? I, I would not be surprised if there was. 
And were the apostles communicating that the Hellenistic widows were more valuable than the Hebrew widows? No, of course, they were not doing that. Every person has equal value in God's eyes and therefore must also have equal value in our eyes. But because this group had been mistreated, the apostles paid special attention to ensure that this problem was addressed and fixed. Some extra care was needed for the Greeks because things were out of balance. And in order to bring balance to make sure that everyone was treated with equal dignity according to their equal God-given value, they acted in a way that to some might have seemed out of balance. Does that make sense? And we've seen that in our culture, haven't we? We've seen people complain. They're like, wait, wait, wait. Well, I'll tell you, I'll, tell you, I'll give you an example, okay? And this is, this is a touchy one, all right? So I, I told you, assume the best from me. <laughs> so I've heard a lot of white folks get offended, and, many, and I've heard some white Christians as well get offended when they hear this term. That's a really hot-button term called Black Lives Matter. Anyone heard that before? Can you smile at me? Okay. We've heard this term, Black Lives Matter. And I've heard some white folks say, what do you mean? Are you saying that, that white lives don't matter? Right? We've heard these conversations, these objections before. Or maybe, are you saying that they don't matter as much? That white lives don't matter as much? Or are you saying that blue lives don't matter as much? Most of the time, I don't think that that's what people mean when they say black lives matter, right? Most of the time when someone says black lives matter, they mean because black lives have not been treated with equal value by some, by many people, we need to pay some special attention to ensure that we bring balance to what was out of balance. Sounds similar to what the apostles did? Now, some of you might be uncomfortable even hearing me say that phrase, Black Lives Matter, because some of the things the organization stands for, right? I mean, the Black Lives Matter organization, they stand for racial justice and equality, which I love, but they also have kind of packaged in some other ideas on family and gender and sexuality that I don't believe are biblical or I don't believe align with with Christian values, right? Therefore, some Christians hesitate to say the phrase Black Lives Matter because they're afraid they'll be misunderstood. Personally, now here's my, here's my opinion on it. You can disagree with me if you feel the Lord leads you to, lead you to disagree with me, but not just because you feel like disagreeing with me. Only if Jesus tells you to. Even though I don't support many of the values of the organization Black Lives Matter, I'm okay with saying the phrase Black Lives Matter. I've said it like 12 times just now. And why am I okay with saying that? Well, first of all, because I believe it's true. Black lives do matter. And let me, let me offer this idea. So I shop at Target sometimes. Sometimes I go to Starbucks and get a coffee. When I am at Target shopping, I'm not afraid that one of you is going to see me shopping there and think like, oh yeah, Johnny works there. So he must be a real sinner. <laughs> I'm not going to think one of you are going to, I'm not going to worry that one of you will see me at Target and say, why is Chris shopping at Target? Doesn't he know what they stand for politically? Does he agree with everything that they believe in politically? He's, he's shopping there. He's smiling. He seems happy. He must endorse everything that they believe. That'd be a little bit of a logical leap, don't you think? 
I imagine that some of you probably watch Netflix. Anybody? Do you know the kind of garbage that's on Netflix? And do you worry that if you tell someone that you watched a Netflix show that they're going to think that you love all the garbage that's on Netflix? Sometimes we do things while not fully endorsing everything, right? You might watch Netflix but not love everything that's on Netflix. And I hope you don't because then that's another, that's another sermon. It's probably next week's sermon. <laughs> so for me, when I say Black Lives Matter, I think it's worth taking the risk because I've talked to some, some black brothers and sisters, again, whom I trust their faith. They've told me that when, when we say things like all lives matter, when I don't want to say black lives matter, I'm just going to say all lives matter because all lives are equal to God. While that's true, it sounds like a dismissal of the pain that people are experiencing when we do that. And some would argue, can't we just start treating everyone equally? And my answer is, well, yeah, it's the goal that everyone will be treated equally. However, in order to achieve equality, we need to do some things that would seem to, like, to some like we are valuing certain voices over others. It doesn't mean that we care for, that we stop caring for every other people group. Or it doesn't mean that we mistreat any people group. It means that the part that is hurting gets attention in that moment, right? And so if you are building a bench and you smack your thumb with a hammer and your thumb hurts and you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to spend, give, give my thumb some extra care. I'm going to wrap up my thumb with some, with some gauze or something. I'm going to put some medicine on it. I'm going to take care of my thumb because it's hurting. Does that mean that you don't value your foot as much as your thumb? No, that'd be stupid to say that, right? To think that. Like, no, it's just my, my thumb is hurt. My foot's fine. <laughs> my foot's not in danger right now. Everything's good with my foot. So I cannot pay attention to my foot for a couple days so that I can make sure that I nurse my thumb back to health. Right? Does that make sense? It's all right to say amen if you agree. But don't lie if you don't. Ooh, don't be liars. <clears throat> okay. Last thing that the apostle did, and then we're going to finish up, all right? I know I've been taking some extra time, but hey, you can handle it. <laughs> Here's one more thing that they did. They did not all take action in the same way. So the apostles knew, like we already talked about, that this job, that they knew the job that Jesus had given them to minister the gospel. Right, to minister the word of God. And it would not have been right for them to neglect the job that Jesus told them to do in order be, just because a need had arisen in a different area. No, but while, while they had a specific calling, they still treated this problem as important and that it needed to be addressed. They couldn't do it all themselves. They knew the job needed to be done, and so they took responsibility, as we have to take responsibility, to be a part of the solution. So they assigned others to make sure it happened. We don't all have to take, we all, all don't have to act in the same way, but we do have to act in some way as if this were our problem because this is our problem because we are one. So we are the family. We are the body of Christ. So this is my problem, not just a certain section of the body of Christ's problem, right? And then verse 7. What was the result of the unity and diversity that the early church displayed? You guys see it? What does it say in verse 7 of Acts 6? What does it say? Someone. So the word of God spread, 
and the disciples multiplied greatly. Because of this unity in diversity, the apostles valued and took action and fixed this problem. The word of God spread. People were saved. Disciples were multiplied as the kingdom of God was accurately demonstrated. Isn't that powerful? And that's what we can do. That's what we can see. Yes, we do all the, we do all the stuff. We do the outreach. We do the evangelism. We preach the gospel. We preach against sin. We talk about other taboo topics. And we don't neglect things that are close to the heart of Jesus like this. And as we do, as we do all of these things, the kingdom is fully represented and people are drawn to it. This is not a less spiritual matter that we're talking about today. It is deeply spiritual and close to the heart of Christ. So here's our responsibility today. I'm ready for that slide now, Debbie. Thank you. Here's our responsibility today. We have to follow the lead of Jesus and the apostles. And I'm going to suggest some different ways that you can. Will you guys come forward for the, for the closing song while I run through these? We need to follow the lead of Jesus and the apostles by seeking out those that on the surface may seem different than us, especially the oppressed, mistreated, and forgotten. That's all of our job. That's every person in here's job. Every follower of Jesus, this is your job because... Christ lives in you, and that's his heart. I encourage you to stay aware of people whom you perceive to be different than you and go out of your way like Jesus did to welcome them in. And again, I'm not just talking about people who look different than you. I'm talking about those whom you might see as different than you in any way. Any way that you see a significant difference, go to that person and stay aware of that person. And as you do, you'll probably find that many of the people you think are not like you, turn out to be a lot more like you than you expected. Second thing, we need to do this by valuing diversity because God does, and we don't just welcome it, we pursue it. Third, we need to listen to the hurts of our brothers and sisters. I encourage you, ask your Christian brothers and sisters from different backgrounds, whatever the backgrounds might be, whatever the differences might be, ask them to share their experiences with you and trust what they say. All right? Can you do that? And these aren't, these aren't conversations that we have every day. We don't talk about this every time I see somebody who's different than me. I don't bring up the differences every time. They get pretty old pretty fast probably. But sometimes you have these heart-to-heart -heart conversations, and we need to have these heart-to-heart -heart conversations to see what it's like to be this person and how I can understand and better love this person. I encourage you to keep learning I put on the, the screen um, a Right Now media series called Kingdom Race Theology by Tony Evans. I encourage you to watch it. It'll take like 45 minutes of your life. It's a three-part series. Tony Evans is like, he's a great man. Um, I like him. He's, he's really has wisdom and he has a prophetic voice to this culture. I encourage you to, to learn from him. Look up this, this series called Kingdom Race Theology. And if you, don't, if you need access to Right Now media, um, we can... Get your core leader that access, and you can watch it. Maybe you can watch it as a core group. Take three weeks and, and watch these three videos and talk about them and talk about the scriptures that they mention. Be a learner. Keep learning and listening. Fourth, by giving authority to those who have been mistreated. Don't just allow unlike people, don't just allow people to be involved, but give them opportunities to lead. And fifth, I encourage you to figure out how Jesus wants you to respond. We don't all have to respond the same way, 
You don't necessarily have to be the one who's going to be holding the sign at the Capitol building or whatever. If God leads you to do that, then do that. But there are other ways that, that you can respond to and ask Jesus what way he wants you to respond. But there will be a way, I assure you. There will be something that Jesus wants you to do. And I want to just end with this quote. Tony Evans, in that, in that series, Kingdom Race Theology, he mentioned, he says this quote, and I think it's good for us to finish on. He says, if you name the name of Jesus Christ, you should be a contributing participant in reconciliation, unity, and bringing about oneness. That means every Christian, a contributing participant in reconciliation, unity, and bringing about oneness. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did the crazy thing of rescuing me, coming all the distance to someone like me who couldn't be more different than you. You crossed all the barriers to come to me, Jesus. You crossed every barrier to come to us. You absorbed our our mistakes. You took the punishment of our mistakes. And because of that, we have been reconciled to you. I pray that the heart, the aggressive love that you showed by seeking us out, that we would show that kind of aggressive love toward the people of this world, especially those that we hesitate to interact with, especially those people that have hurt us, especially those people that we don't understand, especially those people that the world paints in a negative light. Help us to be the ones to go to those people, not waiting for them to come to us. I pray that this would be a church of reconciliation, that this would be a church of diversity, that this would be a church that represents the kingdom of God in its fullness as much as we can here on earth, God. And watch what you'll do, the miracles you'll do through us as we follow you in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you guys stand together? We'll close with a song. And as we sing this song, just allow Jesus to speak to you. Ask him, how do you want me to respond? Not just right now in this moment, but how do you want me to respond in the actions I take? daily basis. Cool.